Hello and welcome to the My VA Dayton podcast coming to you from Dayton, Ohio. This is the show where we talk with veterans in the Western Ohio region to share their stories and share what's happening at the Dayton VA Medical Center. I'm Scott Lease, your host with co-host Greg Tucker. We have with us today John Looker, a U.S. Army Vietnam combat veteran. He is the recipient of three Purple Hearts, a graduate of Sydney High School, public speaker, and Warren County Veteran Service Commissioner. John shares his story of redemption decades after a fateful, horrific day on March 9, 1969, at the Battle of Angel's Wing during the Vietnam War. On that day, he and other members of B Company, 2nd Battalion, 5th Cavalry, engaged in a firefight with North Vietnamese Army and Viet Cong near the Cambodian border. Eleven of John Looker's fellow soldiers made their ultimate sacrifice that day. He suffered a serious shoulder and arm injury that required extensive surgery and rehabilitation. After 124 days, John emerged a broken man, suffering from PTSD, and began to engage in destructive behaviors. Decades afterwards, he sought help through psychiatric services at the VA and has since learned to manage his illness by devoting his life towards helping other veterans and continuing therapy. Welcome, John. Thank you, Scott. Before we get to know more about you, we're going to put you to the test. Ah, here we go. Yes, it's time to play Don't Tell Me, I Think I Know That. Mm. This is the game where we put our guests to the test of their knowledge of military trivia, a game where listeners can play along to see if their minds are mired in mounds of military minutia as ours are. Are you ready to take that challenge? Yes, I am, Scott. All right, fantastic. Well, your first question is, what was the nickname of the infamous Hoi Lo Prison? Would it be A, the Hanoi Hilton, B, Sing Sing, C, Alcatraz, or D, Paris Hilton? Hanoi Hilton. That's right. Okay, here's your second question. In the early 1970s, the fighting spilled over into which two neighboring countries in Vietnam? Would it be France in Germany, Laos in Cambodia, Guatemala and Nicaragua. Allison, Cambodia. That's right. Good answer. So here is your third and final question. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So which military decoration was awarded to 352,000 servicemen who served in Vietnam? Would it be A, the Flying Cross, B, the Red Cross, C, the Purple Heart, or D, the Bleeding Heart? That would be the Purple Heart. That's right, of which you are a recipient. So, Greg, what has John won? For answering all those questions correctly, we have a set of four Dayton VA Industrial Strength chip clips designed by NASA's aerospace engineers to keep your chips crisp on your next stellar space journey or wherever you may be traveling in the near future. All compliments of the Dayton VA. Oh, thank you very much. And Sounds I bet exciting. you know exactly what those chip clips are. No, now. I do not. No, <laughs> not at all. And how valuable they are. Yeah, so <laughs> we'll get you your chip clips here shortly. But right now, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll hear more from Army veteran John Looker. 
Hope, where are you hiding? I search for you in the seconds, the minutes of each and every day. Hear me as I call out to you. Take my hand. Lift me up as I lift up others. Welcome me home, father, mother, sister, brother, son, daughter. Hear us now. Alone we stood, divided we fell. No longer. Now we choose to make the connection. Our new mission lies within. Visit maketheconnection.net to learn more. I was in the military and I didn't know that when I left, I was eligible for health care through the VA. I thought you had to be disabled or have been wounded. Another vet told me I should check it out. Now I have the care I need at the Dayton VA. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. To enroll, call 937-268-6511, extension 5336, or visit dayton.va.gov. And we're back with Vietnam veteran John Looker. So, John, you spend a lot of time now working with veterans in the community, you know, assisting them with uh, getting all their needs, you know, and making sure that uh, that everything is uh, is is taken care of uh, for for whatever veterans' needs uh, might come forward when they come uh, talking to you at the VSO. Um, one of the things you are really known for is sharing your experience through speaking events. Uh, tell us what's happening there and how has this helped veterans? Well, what I'm hoping to do is at least get one veteran to prevent suicide because that's the biggest challenge today and I also work on a national committee which is national for the American Legion national employment and education and our main focus this year is transitioning the Iraq and Afghanistan veterans back into service right into a civilian life and and the VA uh, just this week as a matter of fact has announced that uh, any kind of care that's needed, the kind of care that you're talking about, it doesn't matter what the service member's uh, service was. Every, every veteran is eligible for that. Um, tell us a little bit about that, if you could. Well, my understanding is the new law that uh, President Biden signed in makes the VA responsible for contacting those veterans coming back within a 90-day period to see if they can get them some training to transition back into civilian life. Absolutely, and what is your role in that? Well, basically my role is working with the National Committee uh, to do that. We are drawing up a plan so that we can actually work with the VA to get that done. Okay. And so, uh, you know, you serve as Warren County Veteran Services Commissioner. Tell us a little bit about your team. Well, we have 14 drivers that work for us, and we travel like an average is about 700 veterans or spouses of veterans to their doctor's appointments. 
We also have a relief group there that we allow veterans to come in when they get behind on their rent, their electric, need food, need gas to come in and get some relief, temporary relief. We also have four service officers that actually file claims for our veterans. And they are real busy now with the Iraq and Afghanistan veterans coming back. Right. And with this new fire pit. With the PACT Act. PACT Act came in, coming in. uh, They're coming back to us about filing claims and stuff. So we're very busy down there. We also have a director, executive director, and we have five commissioners that represent five different organizations, the Military Order of Purple Heart, American Legion, VFW, Disabled Veterans, and also the Marine Corps League. So tell us a little bit more about the the flow of people coming in for the PACT Act. You know, I, how many of them have uh, are, are coming back after a previous claim or uh, looking for additional care um, through the VA that they that they weren't getting before. Well, our service officers are have appointments scheduled all day long. Our first one starts at seven. Our last one ends at six o'clock in the evening, and we've probably processed about fifty claims so far after the PACT Act was initiated. Yeah. So tell us what the success rate for you is on that. How many how many veterans come to you and say, "Hey, thank you." for helping us uh, find our way, especially through the PACT Act? Well, there's so many TV ads out there with these attorneys that want to handle these. And we, even in my speaking that I do, I talk about, you know, if you go to an attorney, there's a chance that that attorney is going to get 50% of your Whatever you receive, if you receive a hundred thousand, they're going to you're only going to receive fifty thousand. But then, you're you have to do show the IRS that hundred thousand that you received. Not only that, but my understanding is you could lose your VA benefits until that hundred thousand is paid back. Mm-hmm. And most of the veterans rely on VA health care like myself. Right. So that's something I try to talk to when I go to different groups. Right. Well, and what a great service you provide to ensure that those veterans have that knowledge at their fingertips through you. Uh, because it, it is hard to navigate through uh, through all the many options and, and changing legislation and so forth. So you know, we really appreciate um, all that you're doing. Uh, tell us about the transportation aspect of it. I think a lot of a lot of veterans don't really know about the fact that um, you know when they're out there, they may have a, a struggle to get to and from their appointments, uh, and and the service that you guys provide, they're not aware of that. Well, and again, we transport an average of 700 veterans a month and spouses, so. We drive almost twenty thousand dollar twenty thousand miles a month, driving them back and forth to their appointments and getting them. But we also provide relief. And last year or for December, year to date, January through December, we have provided assistance to ninety one veterans 
to the tune of $83,407.92. And we also, January through December, we transported, uh, excuse me, I gotta find a number, 6,938 veterans and drove 281,975 miles. So, and basically all they need to do is call our office and make an appointment. We like to get them at least a week in advance, but sometimes it's urgent when veterans have that. One of the biggest things we do right now is transport dialysis patients. And we pick them up at their house, take them to their dialysis, and then the driver, if he has another run to make, because it's about a four-hour process, he makes that run, comes back, picks up the veteran, and takes him back to his home. And that's a service we provide six days out of the week because dialysis usually isn't open on Sunday. But we have drivers that actually come in on Saturdays, holidays, vacation days yeah, sure. to transport these because it's so important to get them to their dialysis. Uh, John, if you don't mind me asking, how long have you been with the Warren County Veteran Service Commission? Well, I, I just started my third term as a commissioner, and it's a five-year term, so this is my 17th year of being a actual veteran service commissioner. And then I also drove for veteran services three years prior to that. And the reason I drove was I really enjoyed meeting with the veterans. You get that chance, that hour, that it's just you and the veteran to talk. And I've gained some lifelong friendships through that. One of them in particular is uh, Arthur Katz. Arthur was a soldier over in Vietnam in the Army, and he was wounded over there. And when he got wounded, he went back to his, back to get some treatment. And there was a lady that was over there, German lady, and Arthur's Jewish, that he said, I'm going to marry that lady. <laughs> did he marry her? He did marry her. And they were married, and I transported him and her a lot. And I got to know the family. The family and I still keep in touch. He's got a book out that's about that thick, which he wrote. And what it is, most of it is the letters that he was writing back and forth with his German soon-to-be wife. And one of them is in German, the other one is in English. So it took him five years to get her back. And I was at his funeral three years ago. He was buried in Arlington in a very prominent spot. If you're at the Women's Memorial, and you go up on the balcony, and you look out, there's Arthur and his wife, Annalise. And I have a five foot, five foot wide um, Masonier, what is it called? Uh, where he put tiles together. Oh, oh mosaic. Okay. Mosaic, mosaic. Yes. Okay. of him 
and a picture of his wife, Annalise, and it's called Annalise's Garden. It sits in my dining room. You know, I've had the honor of seeing you actually speak in person, and, and it was at the uh, military museum Detroit. right there. And one of the things that caught my attention when you were giving your presentation, or really when you were laying it out on the line right there, and that is exposing yourself, the vulnerabilities that you experience during that horrific day that you mentioned. Um, now, John, do you feel that one of the driving or motivating forces behind doing what you do, going around telling your story, is because veterans relate in, in hearing your story? Well, they not only relate, but what I'm hoping the speech does is get them the opportunity, like I did, 35 years later, carried that burden on my shoulder before I could tell that story, is to let them tell their story, get it off their shoulders, especially the Iraq and Afghanistan veterans now and the Vietnam veterans. There's a lot of them out there that haven't told their family or anybody their stories. And you need to do that. And you need to get some help. Dayton VA has started me on a, you know, I started seeing a psychiatrist years and years ago. And that's what got me out to do things I do now, which I attend a lot of veterans events. Uh, this weekend I'll be going to Columbus for the uh, American Legion Department of Ohio Convention where I serve as department chairman for the oratorical program, which is a program for freshmen to seniors to talk about the Constitution mm -hmm. and their rights and responsibilities as a citizen to follow the Constitution. Well, it's obvious that you're very dedicated to your fellow veterans, um, you know, not just because of your service, but, uh, you know, you, you actually had a calling to the Army, if I'm not mistaken. I understand you joined the Army um, after actually being an all-star rising athlete. Uh, did your father or anyone else have any uh, reason for inspiring you to join the military? Well, I was actually drafted, but my father and mother we had nine, well, we had our five, my five siblings, plus two of my uncle's siblings living with us. And that was, so there was like nine of us in the family. So my father and mother both worked two or three jobs just to pay the rent and do things that we needed to do. And the one biggest surprise I had was so as a junior, and basketball at Sydney High School. And I looked up in the stands and there was my father. And that's the only game he ever came to. And uh, it was very, I mean, I appreciated it. And I happened to score 18 points that night, so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you were drafted uh, to into the Army, uh, but tell us about your experience in Vietnam. You know, I'm sure our listeners would like to know more about that, especially with you being a combat veteran. Well, when I first arrived in Vietnam, 
I, I uh, arrived in Cameron Bay. And first night I was there, they hit the ammo dump. So it was like the 4th of July all night long. And I thought to myself, what the hell have I gotten myself into? <laughs> and from there, I went on to uh, get into the first cab. And my first experience with actual life and death was on Mother's Day when we were in a big firefight. We'd gone in to rescue another group that was there, and we were right in the middle of it. And we lost about four of them in that particular firefight. So that was my first experience. And we, we were in the first cab, which is a unit that goes, we transport, we were transported in helicopters from one firefight to another firefight. So we might be in two firefights in a day. And we found out from our captain, Captain Parker, that uh, we were in approximately 200 firefights while I was in there in 10 and a half months. Mm. And so you got to be really hardcore, I guess you would call it. Absolutely. Because every day you were in a place of life or death. And then one of the other ones that really comes back to my mind is on December 2nd of 1968. We'd just come in. We were usually out for 30 to 45 days. And we came in. We were all in the same old fatigues that we'd been wearing for probably 20 days at least <laughs> and socks that uh, we'd changed three or four times and the only time you got a chance to wash it was in a creek that you'd come by but we they set us down in an area where the helicopters were actually coming in so there was a lot of dirt flying all over the place and we were already cruddy and we no more got our packs off and the two guys that I've spent all my time in Vietnam with, Earl Longstrap from Pennsylvania and Billy Bayham from Los Angeles, we were the three amigos. Anyhow, we just sat down. Here come this sergeant. He said, Looker, Longstrap, Bayham, front and center, bring your ammo. Oh, man, we just got sat down, didn't have anything to eat. There was a chow hall there. So we get we went with him, got on the back of this truck, and we went outside of the perimeter. No more and got outside of the perimeter than this first lieutenant guy came out of the truck, said, Gentlemen, there's ice cold beer in the back there and Cokes or whatever you want. <laughs> I thought we were in heaven. He says, I want you to guard me because we're going down to this creek. And I want to get a bath, and you all can wash off some of the dust you got, too, which was great. So we went out, got cleaned up, came back. Two, late, two days later, we, went, we were in a rubber tree plantation. And Lieutenant Guy was between Earl and I, and... He decided he was going to charge the bunker where we were receiving the fire from. Mm. He didn't make it three steps and bullet right in the head, dead, going back on his 
in a, one of those big coffins. And that really affected me. He was there no longer than a week. And that happened. So that's one of the same things that I still have my PTSD associated sure. with. I sure. still have those nightmares of seeing him getting killed. And Earl and I finally got to the bunker and got rid of the enemy there, but he was already gone. So tell us a little bit about your experience um, earning your second Purple Heart. Well, as I said, Earl and Billy and I were all together the whole time I was there. And Earl didn't have enough time on March the 8th to actually get back into the country. He was out of the service. He wouldn't leave the field. And that's the way a lot of us were out there. So Billy and I got a new recruit, uh, Alton Ellis. And of course, the first night you're in country, you're scared to death. And we were out, and for some reason, we set up in a rice paddy. And I don't know why we ever did that, but we did set up in a rice paddy. And you pulled guard two hours then got four hours sleep and back on guard two hours. Well, it happened to be Alton's turn to pull guard. And this was around midnight sometime. And he saw some North Vietnamese or some Viet Cong walking on a path that was around us. Well, he fired at him, so the rest of us had to get up and pulled a little you know, make sure everything was okay. Sure, sure. And uh, we sat up for a while and no more got back to sleep than we were surrounded. We were in the rice paddy, surrounded, and I think we lost three of them right off the bat. They were gone. So there was a ravine about 30 meters away from us that we were able to get into. And we started out in a large area, the rest of us that were remaining. And as we kept getting hit, it got smaller and smaller and smaller. And about four o'clock that morning, I was uh, shot in the shoulder. And it was a tracer round, so it kind of fused it a little bit. So I was able to continue to fight for a while. Not for a long while, but I was able to fight for a while. And then Billy, well, let me go back, because Alton was the first to get killed. And he was right between Billy and I. But Billy, after Doc Morgan shot me up with morphine, he uh, kept took off his T-shirt. We weren't able to get any real fire in to help us because we were surrounded and so they shot illumination rounds which only let us see the enemy get it within 25 yards of us setting up and when I got shot we, as we kept moving closer and closer together as people were dying we actually <clears throat> he would pick me up take his t-shirt off, put it on my shoulder, 
and then moved me and stuffed me into the side and sat on my shoulder to help stop the bleeding. Well, that went on until we were almost out of ammunition. And Billy crawled back to where the others had been killed instantly in the first round and got all the ammunition and stuff and brought it back, which allowed us to go until the ones that were remaining to continue to fight until the uh, Cobras came in. And once the Cobras came in and cleaned out the area, they were allowed, they allowed the medevac to come in. And I was loaded on one of the second medevacs because I wasn't as severely wounded as some of the others. And they loaded me on the top bunk and my arm was dangling over the side. And Billy looked at it and he told the corpsman, he says, put his arm back up on his chest. Well, the corpsman said, he's gonna lose that arm anyhow. So Billy pulled out his 45 pointed at him and said, I told you to put his arm on his chest, and he did. So the next thing I remember was back in the field hospital. There was a nurse there, beautiful little nurse, and her name was Cisco, and I kept calling her Crisco. <laughs> and she was holding my hand the whole time, and the next thing I remembered was waking up the next morning. Here was Earl screaming at me, I can't leave you for one day. <laughs> and he was right. And then they transported me to Guam. I spent time in Guam. And then just as I was about to get civilian clothes and be able to go out, they shipped me on off to Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. Well, when I got to Valley Forge, my family, of course, wanted to come and see me. And I wouldn't allow them to come and see me because there's so many others that were wounded so bad there that I didn't want to see people with their arms and legs and stuff cut off. And so I wouldn't allow them to come. I wouldn't even allow them to phone call because I just, I was coming back a broken man and my PTSD was really bad at that time. And Earl only lived about an hour away from Valley Forge. So once I was able to get a pass, he'd come and pick me up, take me back to his mom and dad's house that had this 30-foot pool and all these beautiful women running around in a refrigerator full of cold beer. <laughs> <laughs> so he would pick me up and take me back there and until I was released. And before I was released, one morning I was sitting at uh, breakfast and I was sitting across from a guy and I looked at him and kept looking at him, kept looking at him. Finally he said, Looker? I said, Toma? It was a guy from my hometown mm -hmm. that was there. So mm -hmm. we got to spend some time together and get out in a little bit and and finally, after I was released and went home, I really wasn't ready to come back into the world. I was free, didn't have 24 by seven watch anymore. 
and all I wanted to do was drink beer. I smoked a lot of marijuana, which was really bad. And then I also chased women, even after I'd been married, and do anything. So, so your experience back in Nam that you were just describing. Um, that's actually how you won your second Purple Heart. Uh, but it, did it take a while for you to receive that, that, uh, that decoration? Yes, it did. And I actually not only received my first one, I received my second one, and then I received a third one. Because on March 4th, I got shrapnel wounds. On March 6th, I got shrapnel wounds. And then, of course, on March 9th, I got shot. So I actually have three, but they won't credit me the one because I don't have enough evidence to prove that I got that. John, you have so much history in knowledge. Are you putting that into like a book form or? They have written a book. There's two of them that's been written on on my experiences before and after Vietnam, during Vietnam. One of them was written by a good friend of mine, and I have that in one form. The other one was written by a guy named Jerry Rohr, and in his book, Lives on Hold, which talks about before, during, and after Vietnam. In the second book of that, he actually has a section that is about 14 pages long that says John Looker, how he struggled with PTSD and recover. And we want to hear the other part of your amazing story towards redemption when we come back after this break. I never needed the VA for anything until I found it difficult on my own. It was getting hard to take care of myself. Then I had a fall, which made it impossible. That's when the Dayton VA stepped up to the plate. I've had the best care anyone could ask for at the Community Living Center. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet, and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. To enroll, call 937-268-6511, extension 5336, or visit dayton.va.gov. And we're back with Army Combat Veteran John Looker. Now, John, before we went to break, you had shared with us uh, part of your amazing story. Now, there's another chapter that we want to talk about, and that is on your road to redemption. You it came back, you it suffered more than any man really should have. But you also tell us about the uh, the road, the struggle back. Well, as I as I told you before, it took me thirty five years before I could tell my story. And the reason I was able to tell it was I was in Washington DC for a training and two of the people that I went with, they actually tricked me when we left the airport and took me to the Vietnam Wall. And when I got to the Vietnam Wall, I was able to see the panel where all 11, all of 11 were on the same panel. And 
course, I broke down in tears, and they thought maybe it wasn't a good idea, but what that, that was the breaking point. I think that took me into the point where I wanted to go back and help veterans to get through that, get that off their shoulders. You know, you can't carry that around. It's too stressful. And I started doing a lot of things. And one of the programs that I'm involved with is a nonprofit organization called Blue Skies for Good Guys and Gals. And I went with this organization in 2016. And what we do is we bring in approximately 50 Purple Heart veterans, Gold Star families, and first responder families every year in August. And we take them to Camp Chautauqua, which is outside of Franklin. And we spend a weekend to remember. They can jump out of a parachute. You know, they can jump out of a plane. They can do a lot of different things. This year we have planned going to the Dayton Dragons game, which my first year in there, I was part of that Dayton Dragons group. And we were staying at the Hilton at that time, which is right outside of uh, Carlisle. Mm -hmm. And we took Muddy Buddy Jeeps, about 50 of them, transported us from the Hilton to the Dragons game. And they closed down the entire Interstate 75, going down to Dayton. And people thought the president was coming or something. (laughs) They were stopping. They were taking pictures. And they took us right into the stadium. And when you got into the stadium and your Jeep got to a certain point, they would focus the camera on you. And on the big screen, it had your name and your rank and all the other stuff that was up there. That was really neat. And we're doing that again this year. But the main point of it is taking these veterans who haven't actually told their stories. I've been with three of them that were very close to suicide. Once you're there the first year, then you become an ambassador and you talk with the other veterans. And I've been with three of them that were gonna commit suicide. And after that weekend, turned out great. And they, it was nice. You were a little resistant as far as going to the VA, far as for help. Oh, yeah. So how did you turn that around, or what changed? Once I started going as a driver and going down, because some of the veterans you have to take directly to the doctor and sit with them, like my friend Arthur, you, uh, he wasn't able to tell the story. His family lives all over the country. So he wasn't able to tell what the doctor said. So I would rely on his daughter and get back with her as to what the doctor said. So that got me to the point where I needed help. So I started going to the Dayton VA, which is great. I've been through two major surgeries I just had a hip replaced last year. I had a knee replaced, both by Dr. K, and I can't say his last name because I can't <laughs> pronounce it. <laughs> but Dr. K did both of those. And I've gained a lot of friends up to date in VA by just being there so often. But 
that's the point where I got to get into actual one-on-one therapy. And the first gentleman that I worked with wasn't a veteran, but he was a very good listener. And it was, it was the one that brought me through that point. And now I'm still doing it about once every month now, but it's all Zoom, which I guess that's all right, but I really enjoy the personal effect. But the Dayton VA has taken care of me from the point I went in there and the point I'm at now through all of that. So I really appreciate the Dayton VA. And and if you could tell our listeners, especially to those veterans who might be a little apprehensive themselves, why they want to go to the VA. Well, there were so many horror stories back in the, you know, the 80s or 90s of the treatment that you got at the Dayton VA. And I try to tell every veteran I meet, if you go to the Dayton VA, you'll be so pleased with the courtesy you receive, the self-respect that they show you, that you really need to go there and get, get yourself taken care of. Think about yourself and do that for you. Right. Well, we hear that often about uh, veterans, especially older veterans, who uh, remember the day when the VA did not have the best of reputations and how hard it is to convince them. Uh, But it's great to hear a story from somebody like you uh, who also came from that era, who also heard those stories, true or untrue. Uh, uh, you know, legend grows exponentially. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and we just want to really thank you, uh, first and foremost, for the time that you've shared with us and, and the experiences you've uh, shared with us and uh, telling telling your fellow veterans why, why they really need to look to the VA for health care. Absolutely, because, you know, not only at the VA but also at the Veterans Services Office, Absolutely. Stay away from the lawyers and come to the service. That's right. And that'll get you into the VA and get you the help you need. All right. Thanks for for coming in today, John. All right, Scott. Thank you. And thank you again for your service, John. All right. Thanks, Greg. With the signing of the PACT Act, VA now has a huge list of presumptive conditions attributed to burn pits or other toxins. They also have a new extensive list of locations where they presume these exposures occurred. With regard to presumptive conditions, the list includes brain cancer, gastrointestinal cancer of any type, glioblastoma, head cancer of any type, kidney cancer, lymphatic cancer of any type, lymphoma of any type, melanoma, neck cancer, pancreatic cancer, reproductive cancer of any type, and respiratory cancer of any type. Illnesses that are now presumptive include asthma that was diagnosed after service, chronic bronchitis, COPD, chronic rhinitis, chronic sinusitis, constrictive bronchiolitis or obliterative bronchiolitis, emphysema, granulomatous disease, ILD, pleuritis, pulmonary fibrosis, and sarcoidosis. Locations for presumptive exposure on or after August 2nd, 1990 include Bahrain, Iraq, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, 
Somalia, UAE, and the airspace above any of these locations. To find out more information about how the PACT Act affects you and your VA benefits, you can also visit VA's comprehensive website about the PACT Act by visiting va.gov pact, where you'll also be able to apply for VA healthcare or apply for or submit a supplemental claim for VA disability. Or you can always call VA's information hotline 24-7 at 1-800-698-2411. Once again, we want to thank Army Vietnam veteran John Looker for taking time to tell his story and experience with the Dayton VA Medical Center. We want to say thanks again to our special guests for taking time today to share their story. We truly enjoy hearing stories from veterans from across the region and learning more about how they found care through the Dayton VA Medical Center. And as always, we want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind them if they are a veteran and are not enrolled to enroll with the Veterans Health Administration to receive health care benefits through the Dayton VA Medical Center. It's easy and it doesn't cost a thing. You just need to be a veteran. The simplest way to start enrollment is to call our Enrollment and Eligibility Office at 937-268-6511, extension 4105. They can schedule an appointment for you to come to the Dayton campus or help make an appointment at one of the surrounding community-based outpatient clinics located at Springfield, Richmond, Lima, and Middletown. Again, that number is 937-268-6511, extension 4105. Veterans may also enroll by visiting www.choose.va.gov slash health. While there, you can choose from applying online or by phone or by mail. It's just that simple, really. As I said before, it doesn't cost a thing to apply. So what are you waiting for? Call us today. Or if you know of a veteran who is not enrolled, have them call to start taking advantage of this benefit. If you're a veteran, it's your VA. Sign up today. Join us again for another episode of My VA Dayton with the Dayton VA Medical Center. Our episodes drop the 1st and 15th of each month. I'm Scott Lease with your co-host, Greg Tucker. Thanks again for listening to My VA Dayton.